Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of The Jared White Show, recorded August 6th, 2018. I am, of course, your host, Jared White, and I invite you to join me in a curated celebration of the art form that is the web. So I've recorded the show in the mornings, in the afternoons, on different days of the week, but the one thing I haven't tried yet is recording the show at night. So that's what I'm trying this time around. Uh, I'm recording this podcast in my home studio. So a little while ago, there were children playing in the playground outside. So there might be an occasional shout coming through the microphone and the noise filter here. But uh, hopefully we'll get a nice clean take here. And if not, I do apologize. But with that being said, on with the show. So this is episode 10 of The Jared White Show, and I'm excited to announce my book giveaway. Yes, that's right, folks. I will be giving away a book. You get to choose which book you receive if you are the winner. I will be giving away either So Good They Can't Ignore You or Deep Work. Both books are by Cal Newport, and both books are absolutely fabulous. They are a must-read for anyone who does any kind of creative work. Uh, any kind of work that requires lots of thought, lots of focus. And as we all know, it's very hard to focus in today's world. We're constantly distracted by everything going on around us and by all of our various devices and, and notifications and things we're subscribed to, feeds, what have you. Uh, so finding ways to improve skills, uh, focus on important work, uh, and to be truly creative, uh, it's a challenge, but both of these books do a great job in giving you practical advice on the kind of things you can do to, uh, to sharpen those skills and improve your focus. So here's how you enter the book giveaway. Are you ready? Step one, subscribe to my mailing list. All you have to do is go to jaredwhite.com, click the big follow button next to my picture, enter in your email address, and you're good to go. And if you're already subscribed to my email list, then you don't have to do anything. Step one is already done. So, uh, so that's it. Step one, subscribe to my mailing list. Step two, email me at jared at jaredwhite.com. That's jared, J-A-R-E-D, at jaredwhite.com with the subject book giveaway. And let me know in 25 words or less the one skill you wish to improve over the next six to 12 months. Again, step two is email me at jared at jaredwhite.com with the subject book giveaway and let me know in 25 words or less the one skill you wish to improve over the next six to 12 months. And step three, ha ha ha, there is no step three. That's it. So all you have to do to enter the book giveaway is subscribe to my mailing list, go to jaredwhite.com and click follow to subscribe to my mailing list if you haven't already. And then step two, is send me an email, like I said, with the subject book giveaway. And that's it. Those two steps and you have entered the giveaway. So uh, good luck. I will announce the winner on episode 12. So this episode and the next episode, I'll be describing how to enter the book giveaway. And then episode 12 in two weeks is when I I will announce who is the winner. And it's completely random. I won't be judging your emails. I won't be judging anything. I'll just be picking a winner at random as long as you meet the criteria of having subscribed to my email list and then emailing me with that book giveaway subject and your uh, 25 words or less uh, description of the skill you wish to improve. And with the book giveaway details out of the way, on to the meta segment. 
I recently wrote an article for my site called Why I Regret Not Taking a Sabbatical When I Was 25. And the article was about or why I regret not taking a sabbatical when I was 25. <laughs> I tell you, some articles, just the headlines write themselves, and this was certainly one of those. Um, so if you're interested in why I regret not taking a sabbatical when I was 25, uh, please uh, go to the show notes and click the link there, or go to jaredwhite.com slash podcast slash 10 for the link there. Uh, basically, the article goes into uh, a pretty good detail, memoir-style of an opportunity I had when I was 25 to take a sabbatical, maybe a month long, maybe a little bit more. Um, And uh, for a variety of reasons, which I describe, I changed my mind. I ended up not taking that sabbatical. I'll give you a tiny spoiler there. There was pressure involved. I didn't arbitrarily change my mind. Um, but regardless, uh, go, go ahead and read it for the reason. But uh, basically, I, I decided I wouldn't take that sabbatical after all. And what followed over the next couple years was uh, just one poor decision after another that ended up being quite disastrous for me. Um, and, and really, it took years to, to put all the pieces back together. And it's only been fairly recently when I felt like I am completely and fully on the path that I had hoped I would be on uh, prior to this whole series of events. So um, the reason I wanted to mention it here on the podcast, besides just letting you know if you uh, hadn't already heard about it through my email newsletter, uh, is, uh, you know, I was thinking a lot about regret and the hold regret can have over us. One issue is uh, if you're unable to forgive yourself. And I think uh, there is some of that for me. Uh, you know, I, I, to a certain extent, I, I, I blamed myself for, for not doing something that in hindsight I wish I had done. Uh, and in that blaming myself is an element of not forgiving myself for that mistake. Um, so, you know, when we look back at our lives, when we look back to the past and we have our regrets You know, if we haven't truly forgiven ourselves for those things, then those regrets can really have a hold over us. They can have a power over our current lives and the decisions we make now. uh, And that that can be a real problem. Another problem is when you're unable to see a path forward out of that series of events. You know, maybe you had some plans. Maybe you had a clear idea of what you want to do in life. And then you made some mistakes. Some things happened that you regret. uh, And now you're just confused you, you may feel lost, you may feel disoriented, uh, you may feel even a sense of grief or loss, like, you know, I thought I had an opportunity to do something, and now that opportunity is gone, and I might never get that opportunity again. And that, that can really be a feeling like grief or loss. Uh, so that's yet another problem of, around regret. And, you know, really, these two problems kind of uh, resolve to a singular point, which is that Uh, regret can come to define you. Uh, (laughs) This is the stuff of many dramas. You know, if you think back on many dramatic storylines you've watched in movies or TVs or in books you've read, um, the entire arc of a character, the entire uh, through line of the story can be around how uh, someone's mistakes and the regrets they may have over those mistakes, even if it's uh, other people's mistakes or it can be their own. But either way, those regrets can come to define a person. And when they do, it's basically a playbook now for every new decision they make. Every every new path they take in life is is sort of controlled 
by the viewpoint they have based on all the regrets they have. To a certain extent, you know, not to get overly dramatic here, but to a certain extent, uh, in times past, I felt like my regrets still had a hold over me and decisions I was making were, were sort of uh, either uh, to retaliate against those regrets or to uh, sort of give in to those regrets and maybe accept that, uh, you know, some sort of uh, opportunity or some sort of uh, lifestyle that I, I might once have desired is no longer possible. Uh, but you get to a certain point and you just come to realize, you know, screw all that. Like, I don't have to have my life defined by those things anymore. <laughs> I, I don't have to listen to those voices in the past, whether my own or others. You know, I can just hit the reset button. You know, it's not like I'm going to go to jail or anything. It's not like there's, you know, there's there's no repercussions now based on what happened in the past. It's just all in my mind. Therefore, <laughs> all I have to do is change my mindset, change my way of thinking, uh, move past those regrets, you know, start operating by a new playbook. Uh, and then all kinds of amazing new opportunities can come along. And so, uh, Certain, certain aspects of what I'm doing with my website, this podcast, other creative projects are me just saying, you know, time to hit the reset button. Stop living in the past. Do something new. Do something you want to do. It doesn't matter if you're starting over in some way. You know, you know, I started blogging back in the late 90s. And yet here I am with a blog that has a pretty small readership. And, you know, on the one hand, I could get very discouraged about that. I could just say, you know, not a lot of people read things that I write. Not a lot of people maybe are listening to this podcast episode. Why the heck am I doing this? On the other hand, every single person that does listen to this podcast, every single person that does read an article I publish on the web, that is really important. You know, it's the power of one. You can't just look at statistics and aggregate and, and look at a total number and make a judgment call about that. You know, if I write an article and only one person in the entire world reads that article, but they find that article extremely meaningful and in some way it changes their life, well, that's precious. That's amazing. I, I am honored and grateful if that happens. Same with this podcast. You know, if only one person, if you are the only person in the world who is listening right now to this show, but somehow this show inspires you or makes you think, or you, or you just find something that's fun and entertaining, uh, you know, a, a moment of joy, like, those are precious things. And so that's why I take what I'm doing right now very seriously. Uh, and I don't want to live in the past. I don't want to live my life according to a playbook based on past regrets. So anyway, that, that's the end of my spiel. Um, but if you're interested in that sort of memoir style look back, uh, check out that article on my site. And for today's link segment, Apple Books, A Love Letter to Readers. Uh, this is sort of a review on MacStories.net, all about the upcoming Apple Books in iOS 12. This is a replacement for iBooks. Uh, so quite a number of years ago, Apple launched iBooks, which is essentially, you know, the App Store or the iTunes Store, that, that very same concept, but for eBooks. I don't think it can be argued that Apple's uh, ebook platform has taken the world by storm. I suspect that Kindle is a lot more popular. Uh, but nevertheless, a lot of people use Apple iBooks, and I'm one of those people. Uh, I prefer iBooks to Kindle. 
Um, I love reading iBooks on my iPad, um, but uh, I'm very, very excited, uh, really excited, really for the first time in quite some time, uh, excited about this platform with the upcoming reboot. So Apple's changed the name like a lot of other things they've changed. So it's no longer iBooks. It'll just be called Books. And you'll go to the Apple Books app on iOS 12 when that comes out this fall and get an entirely new interface. So they've they pretty much redesigned everything. It's quite different. Um, it's quite striking. It's, it, it's actually the first time where Apple has used a serif font rather than a sans serif font uh, for parts of the user interface of their application. So a lot of the, the headings and a lot of the... Uh, the interface text in the in the various sort of store pages and so forth, um, they have uh, a, a new uh, serif variation of San Francisco. Uh, so Apple's had their own custom typeface for a while now called San Francisco, um, both the Mac and iOS platforms, as well as the Apple Watch, which is actually where San Francisco first appeared. Um, they're using they're using San Francisco sans serif for all of the interface elements. So you know, menu items, buttons, labels, all those sorts of things. Um, but now with Apple Books, they have a new serif, and uh, it absolutely looks amazing. It's gorgeous. Um, so uh, so if you're interested in what that new interface looks like and some of the new features that are in there, I highly recommend this review on MacStories.net. Uh, I'm super excited about Apple Books. Uh, I read a lot of ebooks. Um, I, I read probably 60 to 75% of, of all the book reading I do via ebooks as opposed to physical books. Um, so, uh, so, you know, any improvement that Apple makes to the, the books platform is going to directly uh, improve my reading experience. So, check that out if you are a user of Apple Books. Next up, San Francisco's housing market. It's so out of control, 60% of tech workers say they can't afford homes. Uh, home purchases, that is. Uh, this is an article on BuzzFeed all about uh, this bizarre phenomenon where the tech industry in San Francisco and, and in general, the whole Silicon Valley region, uh, it's driven housing prices up so high that the very people that are working at the companies that have driven these housing prices high, a, a lot of those people can't even afford to buy homes in that area. Uh, so <laughs> uh, this is a problem that's been building and building for a while now, but uh, it's actually, you know, it's gotten to the point now where uh, increasingly people are wanting to move out. They're, they've had it. They're, they're done. They, they just don't want to be there anymore. In some cases, they're moving to other parts of California. Uh, in other cases, they're just moving out of state entirely. That's what my family and I did. We're here now in the Portland, Oregon area. Very happy to be here. Uh, you know, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not one of these California haters. I know there's some people out there that that sort of have an in for California as a state for, you know, maybe political reasons or other reasons. Um, but I still have a heart for California. I care about the people. I care about the place. Uh, I will always identify as somebody that has come from California and not shy away from that. Um, but I do think that there, there are a lot of problems with uh, the way the housing market has developed, and uh, particularly in the Bay Area. Um, you know, it, it, it kind of befuddles me that this is a problem that tech companies have created when the, the fact is that the vast majority of work that you can do at a tech company, you can do from anywhere. Like we have Wi-Fi, we have cell phones, 
We have computers that can connect to the internet from anywhere easily. Uh, you can have remote workers. You can have a distributed workforce. So I, I just find it truly bizarre that so many tech companies insist on having these large campuses and these huge teams on site. People have to come into an office building. You, you get, get this. You actually have to go to a office building. Like we're in the 21st century, when we have like almost ubiquitous global internet, you can literally be sitting on a beach halfway across the planet and get some work done. And yet we all have to go into this one office building to work for a tech company. <laughs> it, it is mind boggling to me. So, you know, with, with the with the housing market, the way it is with the with the traffic and other issues, the way it is around the Bay Area in San Francisco in particular, I just think it's time, it's past time that something's got to give. So I really hope that more tech companies out there, please, 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 if you're listening and you have any control over this, please, more tech companies need to be remote friendly, need to encourage remote work, need to encourage people working offsite, need to hire more people outside of the Bay Area, need to set up more satellite offices. You know, if you absolutely must insist on having some kind of, you know, mothership that people can go to at least some of the time, you know, set up more satellite offices around. I do know that a lot of tech companies have satellite offices here in Portland. So I think that's a step in the right direction. Um, but anyway, this is this is just becoming a, a massive headache for everybody um, but if you're interested in, in hearing some more specific details and stats and so forth, uh, this BuzzFeed article is a, a good summary of all that. Next up, let's talk about MoviePass. What is MoviePass? Well, if you don't know, I will explain it to you. It's very simple. You get a credit card, you download an app on your phone, and the credit card only has value when you go into the MoviePass app and you select the movie theater you're in and the time you want to see the movie uh, usually there's a, a short window of time, so you have to show up like roughly 30 minutes before a movie starts. And once you select that theater and that time, all of a sudden there's the value of buying that ticket on the card. So you just you know go up to a ticket window and say that you want to see this movie at this time, and then you hand them the movie pass card and they use that for payment, and it just magically works. The question is, well, how how does that value get there? Like, what, what, where is that money coming from? And the answer is a subscription. So, Movie Pass is a nine dollars and ninety nine cent a month subscription. Just to give you a little preview of the drama, they announced that they were raising that price, but then they've since announced that they're not raising that price. So, at this point, I don't know if it is or is not going to continue to be at nine ninety nine a month, but. Uh, it has been for a year now, and I've been a MoviePass subscriber for several months. And uh, and overall, you know, I've been impressed. The app has worked as advertised. It's very easy to use. The card has worked as advertised. Um, the process is pretty seamless. Uh, and so it's it's been kind of disheartening to see tons and tons of drama and, and uh, almost uh, going out of business sort of events uh, with MoviePass lately. Uh, it just seems like every day there's some new drama around if MoviePass is going to continue to work and are they going out of business and, and they keep changing the terms of service and what, what kind of things you can do. Um, yeah, it's just been crazy. Uh, but uh, it sounds like they're, they're maybe uh, getting to a point where 
the the business model is solidifying a little bit and they they maybe will have some stability going forward uh this article on indiewire and the show notes uh basically talks about their latest change which is that subscribers can only see three movies a month so originally it was 9.99 gets you a new movie every day so if you want to go to the theater every day and see a new movie you could which you know if you think about it like wait a minute if if I'm paying Movie Pass nine ninety nine a month, and they're letting me see a movie every day, and Movie Pass is having to pay the movie theater their regular ticket price, because you know as far as the movie theater is concerned, they're just processing a credit card like anybody else, like any other card. Uh, like you know that that sounds like a completely unsustainable business model, and so uh, they they obviously had other ideas for you know how to how to smooth out their revenue, you know, maybe, maybe they would be doing theater deals or advertising opportunities or, you know, all sorts of other gimmicks. But I think they're realizing at this point, like, you know, they need to have the basic fundamentals of the business model actually make somewhat of (laughs) some sense here, or they're not going to last very long. Um, So now the change is that subscribers will only be able to see three movies a month. Now, I have no problems with this because even being a MoviePass subscriber where I could go to the theater every day, I've been lucky to even go to the theater once a month, you know, twice a month. Wow. Like three times a month would, I, you know, would be luxury for me. And that's just because I'm very busy. I have a family. You know, we have lots of stuff going on. Um, you know, if my wife and I did want to go see a movie, we'd have to pay for her ticket because the, the subscription only works for me to get a ticket for myself. Um, so, you know, for a variety of reasons, uh, I just wasn't using MoviePass all that much uh, to the point where I was wondering if it was even worth it to have it. Because, you know, if I'm paying basically 10 bucks a month for this service, but I only go see a movie once a month and maybe that ticket's around 10 bucks, you know, maybe it's just not worth it to even maintain the subscription. Um, but if they can maintain the MoviePass service with uh, three movies a month, uh, I, I think that's definitely worth it. You know, 10 bucks a month, giving me three movies a month at my local theater. I think that's a great deal. And I think, um, you know, that might be sustainable for them over the long term. Because some people, you know, won't even see that many. Some people live in areas where the ticket prices are probably low. Uh, so, you know, they, they might be, you know, losing, maybe not making money, but at least losing far less money than they were. And then that gives them a chance to pursue some other revenue opportunities to kind of bolster the whole service. So... So I do hope, uh, unlike some people, it seem to be uh, sort of rooting for the demise of MoviePass. Uh, my, my favorite movie critic, John Campia, uh, kind of has an out for MoviePass, um, I'm sorry to say. And so I don't agree with some of his conclusions around MoviePass. But, uh, but I do hope they succeed. And uh, it sounds like they're at least taking some steps now in the right direction. So if you are a MoviePass subscriber, I'd love to know what you think about all this drama. If you're not a MoviePass subscriber, I'd love to know if you're interested in this sort of service. Uh, even if it's not MoviePass, maybe a competing service out there. But, uh, but I'm just curious if you're interested in getting one of these sort of uh, movie ticket subscription services. Uh, it, it definitely makes the movie-going experience feel more like you know so many other areas of our lives where we have some kind of subscription service. You know, certainly all the streaming services like Netflix and Amazon Prime and so forth, um, you know, have, have gotten us hooked on this idea that we we pay a certain amount of money per month and and get all these entertainment options. So I feel like the movie going experience at theaters should should fall in line there as well. So I, I definitely think either Movie Pass 
or something like it uh, is is going to be uh, the way of the future. And last but not least, the image segment. And for today's image segment, I have a link to a video of Tangerine Dream performing live. This concert video, which you can watch for free, two hours of performance from Tangerine Dream. I highly recommend it. Uh, Tangerine Dream is my favorite band of all time. They are electronic music geniuses that started a revolution in electronic music making all the way back in the 70s. Um, of course, I say they. The, the reality is that all of the original members of the group uh, from the 70s are no longer in the group. Um, one of the reasons being that the founding member, Edgar Froese, passed away back in 2015. Um, but, uh, but someone that he worked with very closely for many years in, in the latter half of the band's life. Uh, I will try to pronounce his name properly. Torsten Kweschning. Uh, he's been in the band for, uh, gosh, since the early 2000s. Um, fabulous musician and composer. Uh, and so he's sort of uh, taken, taken the lead in the band now that Edgar Froese is no longer with us. Uh, and his other principal bandmate is uh, Ulrich Schnauss. And uh, Ulrich is uh, also just an absolutely fantastic electronic musician. Comes from a very successful solo career of his own. Um, but he joined the band a few years ago, and it's been a, a really welcome element there. So, uh, so those two musicians, plus Hoshiko Yamane uh, on violin and cello, just a, a wonderful lineup. So in this two-hour-long concert, which you can watch for free, uh, they perform a lot of music from, um, from you know, past eras of Tangerine Dream that were uh, quite popular, uh, music from uh, movies that Tangerine Dream scored, such as Sorcerer, and uh, Risky Business, uh, along with uh, new music, which is uh, basically um, completely improvised. They, they call it session music. Um, they've done a, a number of these uh, session compositional performances over the last few years. So it's basically uh, 33 minutes of real-time improvisational electronic music performance. Uh, and it's, it's really a, a throwback to, uh, to the band's roots in the 70s when so much of the music they would perform live uh, was, was done just you know, off the cuff. You know, sequences going on, uh, various uh, melodic and chordal elements, uh, all, all performed in real time. Um, you know, in, t in today's electronic music world, that's uh, that, that's starting to become in vogue again. But in, in so many respects, you go to a concert and you're essentially just listening to backing tracks and, you know, maybe one or two uh, melodic lines actually get performed. But so much of it is is sort of pre-programmed, you know, DJ style beat making and so forth. Um, so to have uh, an electronic music group playing synthesizers and sequencers and so forth, uh, doing everything truly live uh, is is a, quite an experience. So uh, so I encourage you to check out the video, um, and uh, also just in general check out the music of Tangerine Dream. Um, they they're continually uh, underrated, I think, in in sort of modern uh, musical consciousness. But they had such a huge impact on the development of synthesizers. Uh, and on uh, ambient, uh, the ambient side of electronic music, you know, essentially, uh, if you if you can make the argument that Kraftwerk had a huge impact on electronic dance music and on synth pop and a lot of the sounds of 80s pop in general, uh, I would also argue that Tangerine Dream had an equally important influence on electronic music 
on more of the ambient side, on more of the uh, sort of uh, long form uh, compositional side. So, so I can't highly recommend their music enough all the way back to the 70s, but even music they've made in the late 90s into the 2000s and, and really up until today. I mean, the, <laughs> this band has been in business for, for what is it, almost 50 years now? Uh, so it's really quite extraordinary. Anyway, I hope you enjoy that link in the show notes. And with that all said, another episode in the can, episode 10. Thanks for tuning in to The Jared White Show. Uh, don't forget about that book giveaway. So please be sure to subscribe to my newsletter. Uh, just go to jaredwhite.com, click follow. And also uh, don't forget to send me that email to jared at jaredwhite.com with the subject book giveaway. Let me know in 25 words or less what's the one skill you would like to improve over the next 6 to 12 months. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye. Jerry Rachel